Well, it really is a joy to be back in your presence. Um, I've missed you all. And uh, I said early on when I was here last time that I prayed for you all every day, and that hasn't changed. But I will say what I have done is I've prayed for your children as well, in a more specific way. And I don't mean just the sweet ones that are here this morning and to our new addition, uh, Priscilla, but I mean for those who are not attending worship somewhere and who may be far away, that the Lord might change their hearts. And the Lord is good, and we'll see what he does. So we'll, we'll look to the Lord as we pray for our children. So I love you all. It's good to be with you again. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, we ask now as we hear your word and read your word that we would see your glory, that we would give you the right honor due to your glory, particularly in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we might know your steadfast love and your your wonderful faithfulness, even to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please turn to God's word, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'm only going to read a portion of chapter 10 and speak to a portion of chapter 10 today. I'll read from verses 1 until verse 25. That's on me. It's not on Todd or the leadership here. Uh, It's on me. So if you would, please turn to Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered For all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we uh, in the past have studied the book of Hebrews, you probably remember some of the uh, situations going on there. There is a group of people the writer is addressing. We do not know who the writer is, but it's obvious that the writer has an incredible knowledge of the Old Testament and a correct knowledge of the Old Testament, particularly in the light of the resurrection of Christ and the person and work of Christ. And the best information that I've seen, I think, that is out there is that this group was probably associated with a Dead Sea uh, Scroll sect. Uh, They were part of Judaism, and uh, they may have been converted to Christianity, but they had some baggage. They had some theological baggage that needed to be discarded and that was affecting them. They believed that there would be a, 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 messian, a messianic king that would come and that there would be another person who was a messianic priest and he would come and he'd be over the king. The priest would be over the king. And both these groups, all of this would be under the archangel Michael. Now to us, that sounds totally crazy. And totally foreign. And it should. They were so far off. Somehow they had come to Christ and yet they were very confused. And yet every Lord's Day when we come, and really every time we come before the Word of God, there's something else that needs to be corrected in our thinking. To be honed that is more in line with the reality of what the Scriptures teach. And so we may not be this far away as these hearers were, But wherever we are today, even myself, and I don't lift myself up, I'm saying, I've got to do this too. There needs to be a honing and a rethinking and a clarified understanding of who Christ is. And what's interesting, what does he do in his addressing? What does the writer do in trying to fix the problem? He addresses the things that they think they know so well. He talks about uh, the prophets. He talks about uh, Jesus' authority, way greater than the angels. He talks about Moses. He talks about the Le- Levitical priesthood because those are the things where the people were confused. And so when we come to a book of the Bible, we don't know who the author is and we don't know absolutely definitively who his audience is. There is solid knowledge for us to understand from it anyway. When I was living with my parents before I was married, my father had a friend who did home improvements. And my father wanted to increase the security of his home, so he asked his friend to put in a deadbolt lock. And I happened to be there that day, and I, you know, I didn't, maybe I didn't even know that he was coming, but I sat there and I watched him. I watched him put in a deadbolt lock. He had great skill, he was very efficient, loved what he was doing. Watched him use his chisel to cut out the, for the plate for the deadbolt. I saw him drill the holes to put the, mechanism in and I just happened to be there and there was solid knowledge I got to learn how to put in a deadbolt 
Years later, my wife and I bought our first home. It was a townhouse, and we needed a deadbolt. I know how to put a deadbolt in. I don't know how to do much, but I can put a deadbolt in. And so there was something solid that I learned, even though I didn't know necessarily the context of why my dad had asked this man to come, or even what a deadbolt did or was initially. There was positive learning that I got from it. And wherever you are in Scripture, there's things that God is explaining to us, whether it's the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians or the priesthood of Christ here in Hebrews, there's solid teaching for us to understand. It doesn't mean that there's not, uh, we, we shouldn't keep growing an understanding to know the context of God's word, but we also need to know that God is expounding on Christ throughout the New Testament, one way or the other. And so the title of this sermon is Essential Clear Thinking, and what I'd like to look at this morning in this passage, just briefly, are just two things I want to look at. The first one is I want us to consider the sacrifices that the writer talks about, the sacrifices that the writer talks about, and secondly, the priesthood of Christ, the priesthood of Christ. First, we look at the sacrifices. We see this in verses 1 to 4, the beginning of verse 6, and the beginning of verse 8. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, once being cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Or the first part of verse 6, in bird offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then the beginning of verse 8, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. That this whole sacrificial system with the bulls and the goats that were offered up according to the word of God, according to the command of God, were there for a purpose, but not to take away sin. Not to take away sin in such a way that we can draw near to God. Think about it for a second. There's, there's no comparison to take this, the, the animal of a bull or a goat and trade it in for a human soul. There's no equity there. There's no equality there. When I was here, before I left the, the Warrington area, I went to this coffee shop in, in the plains that also doubles as a bike shop. And I asked the owner, I said, I got a Schwinn. I have a 1972 Schwinn Continental. What do you think? <laughs> he says, well, is, is it sentimental value? <laughs> I said, well, kind of. He said, otherwise, I, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, I think put it in the dump. And I was a little surprised, you know, but he's got all these fancy bikes in there. And my bike's in horrible condition. It's been sitting for, I don't know, 30 years or whatever. But for me to offer that to him and say, look, can we just do a straight-up trade? I'll just give you, I'll give you my, my Continental for one of these bikes on the shelf. It costs like $2,000, $3,000. It's like, it's crazy. There's no, there's no comparison. But let's say I took, it, I took it to the local Rolls-Royce dealer, and I said, hey, I got a Schwinn Continental from 1972. Can I trade this in on a new Rolls-Royce? Are you crazy? There's no comparison. Even in the Old Testament, what does it say? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. 
that the dignity of the animal had nothing in comparison with the dignity of man who was created after God's image. There's no comparison. And so there's no surprise that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. It wasn't equal to the glory that God had made man. Well, let's see if we can find a man to take the sin, take the punishment. From the history of man since the fall of Adam to today, till the future, every man is ruined. Every man is a sinner. All of the qualifications of the bulls and goats without spot or blemish. And every one of us since the fall of Adam has the blot and blemish of sin. A sinful nature that even as God's people is being renewed even to greater glory now and will be finalized in heaven. And so it's no surprise that the blood of bulls and goats wouldn't do this. But you have to say, but wait a minute, God said to. And things happened when David offered the sacrifice that we heard about when Kevin read 2 Samuel 24. God gives us these pictures in the Old Testament about how sacrifice quenches or uh, calms God's wrath in certain situations. But that wouldn't save a man for eternity. That wouldn't purchase him entrance into heaven. But he keeps giving these wonderful pictures to show the the efficacy of of what a, a sacrifice could do if it was the right sacrifice. But bulls and goats won't do it. And so the question is, what was God doing there in the Old Testament? He was doing a wonderful thing. From Genesis 3.15 on, he was giving promises and types of what the, the ultimate sacrifice would be. Think about all the time and energy God did as he worked with man from the fall and calls Abraham and, and, and Jacob and he gives them all his words so that Israel was a light to the nations with no comparison to anybody else in the world. He was priming them for the coming of Christ. He was priming them for the Messiah to come. So that the sacrifices, as they did them over and over and over again, rather than helping them and and giving them a clean conscience, just reminded them that they're sinners. But at the same time, they pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice that would take away sins, that would cleanse our conscience, that would give us new life. And I just want to pause in in, in one application here and say, we should just marvel at God's patience throughout the Old Testament and the history of mankind, that he would bear with Israel and their sins and continue to give them light and continue to give them light and to continue to give them light. All the pointers to the one who would come, the Messiah, not just of Israel, but of the world. I've just come to appreciate his great love and kindness for the light that he gives us in the Old Testament and how we ought to know the Old Testament too. I know things are confusing. I'm still growing in my understanding of it. But it's still a light to the nations even now that God was pleased to work through that country, that that theocracy, and give them regulations 
to be a part of that theocracy, to be a part of that people. That's what these things were. It kept them in the covenant in sense. But they didn't take away sins eternally. And so he gave them these wonderful pictures of what he would do in Christ. I mean, it's just you could just take a section of Old Testament, like the one that Kevin read today, and just meditate on it. And then think, how does Christ fulfill this? He really did it. He really took away the wrath for eternity in himself. He bore the wrath that we deserved. And now is the the one through whom we can have new life, forgiveness of sins, a new nature. And to come back to God that we can have confidence now where we couldn't before. It's like, i got to offer another sacrifice, another sacrifice. It's all done. It's finished. And I think I, I've said to you before, I know some of you may have had a series of operations. You've had a, an accident or an illness where you have to keep having re-up the, the, the uh, operations or you have something where you have physical therapy. My wife just started doing physical therapy. Hopefully she'll be done with it at some point, but you want to be done. And yet as they offered these bulls and goats constantly, it was a reminder, this is not, this is not the solution. It's not finished. It's not finished. So there's that inadequacy of the sacrifices, but then it points to a better sacrifice. A better sacrifice, verses 5 to 6. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Again, at this point, I feel like we should just pause and bow in worship as we understand what this is saying. Kevin spoke in his prayer about a trip that my wife and I just took. We took a two-week trip. We drove to Memphis. While I was at Memphis, I would walk across the Mississippi, get some exercise to the other side, to Arkansas and back. We did that like three days in a row with my daughter. Great time. I could see the skyline of Memphis, including the pyramid, not the pyramids, but, you know, they had their own pyramid there in, in Memphis. And it was, a, it was a great time with my kids just to do that, and, but to see the beauty of the Mississippi and the trains going alongside me as I would cross the Mississippi and the barges coming down the Mississippi. And then we flew after a couple-day delay because some airline didn't have all their flights going. We, we, we got a delay and finally got out to California. As soon as I come out of the airport, there's a mountain. I'm like, man, this is really cool. The weather is really wonderful. While we were there, my son took us to Joshua Tree up in the mountains. And it was beautiful, just beautiful scenery. Uh, A lot of windmills out there, too. Uh, And then also we went to the beaches. We went down to Laguna Beach, went to Manhattan Beach. Had dinner looking at the sunset on the Pacific Ocean. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then what I do, I come back here. And I get to see the leaves changing. (laughs) The beauty of the leaves changing now around us. You know, people pay, you know, when there's certain art exhibits and art museums, they go and lines line up to go see them. People are lining up to go on the Blue Ridge Parkway to see the beauty of the leaves. This is God's work. All of this is God's doing. All the beautiful things we saw were God's doing. Incredible, incredible beauty throughout our time. And to think that the one who created these things and for whom they were made, who for a while 
was like the Father and the Holy Spirit without a body. That he would come and take on human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. I've come to love these words, particularly in Colossians, the book of Colossians 1.15. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the second person of the Trinity. Equal with the Father and the Son as God, and the Holy Spirit as God. Who had enjoyed eternal bliss and love and fellowship with one another, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he would come... And be made lower than the angels for a while. That he might save a people for himself. That he would be the perfect sacrifice. Because as we looked at the the mass of humanity over the course of history after the fall, there's no one who could pay it. No perfect sacrifice. All damaged goods. But God so loved the world. He gave his son. We sang in the hymn. That's why I have this open hymnal here. I just love this. I love this last verse of when I survey the wondrous cross. We're the whole realm of nature mind. It's not. It's Christ's. He made it. It was for him. That were a, a present far too small. Think about that. Everything we've ever enjoyed, the beauty and the wonder, the goodness. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Second person of the Trinity. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Aren't those wonderful words, if I can say this, crazy words? This is who our Christ is. And this is why it's so glorious that God has done it. As Todd said, it's all been done for us. In a short while, we'll be part of a meal that God has established for us. When the Levitical priesthood had to do the sacrifices over and over again, they had one remembrance, sin, 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 sin. (coughs) When we come to the table, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant for you. Remember these things. much of the Christian life as we grow is just worship it's just thank you Lord thank you thank you for your kindness thank you for your great love and it's for us to grow in our appreciation and enjoyment of those things to wonder at his love which will never change as I told the children and hopefully you were listening it will never change You know, it's hard in relationships. Sometimes we get stuck. You know, sadly, even in marriages, we get stuck. It's hard to move on. But by God's grace, we confess our sins. We ask forgiveness. We're reconciled. And we move on to greater joys together. And that's true with one another in the body of Christ. But he never changes. He'll never change his love. 
He ever lives to intercede. As Todd said, as Spurgeon said, God desires to forgive more than we would desire to sin. Is that what it was, Todd? Yeah. To take that in, you know, it might seem, in some sense, it might say, okay, it's just a little trite saying of Spurgeon. No. That's the reality. When you measure the love of God for us in Christ, it is an incredible, incredible measure of love. And so let me just encourage you as a way of application to take time to think about that. Take time to think about the significance of Christ taking on human flesh, that he left glory to be humiliated for a time lower than the angels, but to return to glory because he had a heavenly mission. So I'll make this next point shorter, and that's the priesthood of Christ, the priesthood, the difference of the priesthood of Christ and the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood, verses 11 to 14 and verse 18. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for a single time, for a single sacrifice, for time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verse 18 Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This audience that the writer's writing to was looking for the reinstatement of the Levitical priesthood, where there would be continual sacrifices. You have to say, what were you thinking? What else do you think you can do that God has already done? It's finished. Done. And just as the plague went away when David offered the sacrifice in our Old Testament reading, it was done in Christ when he was offered up on the cross. <laughs> Hallelujah, what a Savior. Never to be repeated, only to be received by faith. Only to be received by faith. The last comment I'll make in, in regards to the, the passage here, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father because his work as a propitiation for our sins has been completed you know, there's, there's these certain phrases we've lived with in our lives. A mother's work is never done. Okay, I understand that. <laughs> you know, got to do this again. Got to do this. Got to clean that again. Made a mess. Got to clean that. Got to change the diaper. I've changed diapers too. I actually liked it, believe it or not. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but, uh, uh, or somebody says, I'm not going to sit down until I finish. And the whole time, the priests were standing, standing, standing. One guy got off his shift. Next guy comes on. One guy got off his ship, the next guy gets on. Over and over and over. But not Christ. It's done. He sat down at the right hand of his father. And from that time on, the gospel goes forth through the, through the church, through the proclamation of what Christ has already done. And even as his people, even as children of God, if we've been reconciled, we need to know it deep, more deeply. We still cringe at times. It's like, remaining corruption. Bring it to me. Bring it into the light. Bring it to me. I've died for that. And he gives us this wonderful picture here at the table. In his infinite wisdom, he wants us to pay attention to this and to listen to this. Very simple. It's not some incredible steakhouse or 
It's not necessary. But it has the greatest significance in the world for us as a meal because it points us to Christ. And so let the word of God cleanse us. Let let the word of God cleanse our thinking and have a a tighter picture of who Christ is. That's what the, the writer is doing as a great pastor too. He brings Christ before their eyes in greater clarity, in greater precision, in things that they thought they knew, and yet were greatly mistaken. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and any time we open your word, we open the breath of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the words of Christ, your words. Every time we come to your word, we come into the light that sheds light into our darkness. And wherever we are, even if things are going well and we're growing in Christ, there's more light to come. And so, Father, as we come to your word at any time, as we're reading it in our private devotions, if we're in studies or memorizing scripture or here, worshiping as your people, we ask you would bless it with your spirit, spirit of truth, the spirit of light that we might see Christ more clearly, to embrace Christ more, more uh, strongly, and to be more pleasing in our day-to-day affections by your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.